It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History puddle. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambler's not your problem. You're just an idiot. It is NFL Week 6 as we welcome you into Full Slate, a podcast by Degenerates for Degenerates. My name is Greg Frank at Undercover Greg on Gambling Twitter at G underscore Frank 6 for the rest of my shenanigans on the Little Bird app is what I'm still going to call it. I don't know if I can ever get to X, but I don't think Elon Musk listens. And Alex Uplinger, my partner in crime, is on vacation. He should be back next week. As It was kind of a so-so week five for us. Some ups in the early window, some downs in the late window. We'll try and be a little bit better than so-so here in week six as we have another London game involving an AFC South team, and that's where we're going to get started. Uh, I had the Jags last week in that game against the Buffalo Bills, so that was a good one for your boy. This time, it's the Tennessee Titans, a neutral field underdog of four points against the Baltimore Ravens. Total in this game sitting at 42, and you know... This may be one of the only times I fade underdog Mike Vrabel. We talked about how great of a spot this has been a few weeks ago when uh, Tennessee hammered Cincinnati. And none of those games have been in London, though. And really what I'm backing here, maybe I should be talking in a British accent. After all, my sister did marry a British guy. But what we're backing here is the London trend. I'm starting to buy the whole favorites in London thing. First off, the Bills were the favorite last week, but one of the reasons, really the reason, that we were on Jacksonville was kind of the spot said you need to take the Jags with Jacksonville playing the second of two games in a row across the pond. So clearly some travel advantages favoring the team from Duval. This time we don't have that. And also I think the Jags with, obviously it's been different coaching staffs over the years, but with how familiar they are in London... I think when you strip the Jags out of the London games entirely and just look at the teams that are a little less common to going to London, that's where the favorite trend in London really plays up. And so that's really the angle I'm riding here. Uh, The London games favorites, not involving the London games, not involving the Jags, excuse me. Favorites are 19-4-1 straight up. And 16-8 and eight against the spread. Again, that's the London games not involving Jacksonville. The Ravens also, uh, shout out to, I believe Scott Seidenberg had this. I listened on the uh, uh, pregame Dream Preview podcast. He said that the Ravens travel to London on Monday this week. So they've been there all week. The Titans flew out on Thursday night. So... Perhaps a little bit of a body clock rest advantage working in favor of the Ravens as well. This is also the Ravens' first London game since 2017 in which they lost to Jacksonville 44-7. to So that actually likes me, makes me like them more, right? John Harbaugh, one of the longest tenured coaches in the NFL. And they lost in blowout fashion under Harbaugh six years ago across the pond. And when they made that trip to London in 2017, they went on Friday morning. Again, Scott Seidenberg, I had to attribute him there. He had some good nuggets on that, which I heard and wanted to incorporate into the handicap. And I also just think the Ravens, off a divisional loss like that, in which they let the game get away. Lamar throwing a bad pick against the Steelers. Not that we're complaining as we had Pittsburgh as the home dog. I think there's a lot of buy signs on Baltimore here. And it's a bounce back opportunity. And that's really where I'm going with this. Tennessee, we saw, gosh, it wasn't even Jonathan Taylor in his return. Zach Moss run all over them last week. 
And we know that Tennessee is not a high-powered offensive attack. So, in terms of laying over a field goal against Tennessee, well, you feel better about that doing it against a team that can't score that much, right? Maybe the back door won't be open. Maybe you can just create some more separation early in the game. Ravens have been a little banged up early in the season, but getting healthier too. And again, that's a Colts offense that isn't the most explosive that Tennessee just allowed 429 yards against last week. So... I am very much liking the Ravens. So they're, they're going to be a play for me at minus four. Getting you started first game in the rotation with a play. We're not going to have plays on all of them, but we're going to try and give you some nuggets, some things to chew on at least in all of these games. Is Let's go to the next game in the rotation, and that is rotation number 253, the Washington Commanders visiting 254, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, This was a side that I kind of grappled with, ultimately will not play, as Washington is catching two in the hook in Atlanta, a total of 42. And I think Washington's kind of interesting with regard to how Jekyll and Hyde the commanders have been. They've been a dog three times. They've been a favorite twice. Washington is 2-1 against the spread as a dog, 0-2 against the spread as a favorite. So what does that tell you? In spots where they're maybe not as expected to do much. Sam Howell, new quarterback. Eric Bieniemy, new OC there. Perhaps a bit more aggressive. Willing to take some more chances. Because, hey, what do you have to lose? And we saw them have a lot of success moving the ball against Philly. And we saw them move the ball in big ways in the second half against Denver in a comeback win earlier in the season in the Mile High City. Those are their two covers um, as a dog. Now, they did get blown out by Buffalo as a dog, but certainly Atlanta doesn't look like the offense that can just run things up and, you know, beat you into the ground the way the Bills can. So, initially I was thinking I'd lean commanders. But I talked a little bit about Atlanta last week as being a team that I think maybe we were too quick to sell our stock on if you had even bought it in the first place. I did. I thought Atlanta was going to be a team that hangs around in a bad NFC South all year. And so I had the Falcons last week as a side, primarily because I thought it was maybe a bit of a sell high on the Texans, their opponent last week. You also have the whole Desmond Ritter at home thing. I I mean, you have to think that's going to come to an end sooner rather than later. But not sure the commanders are the team that... They're they're off the mini-bye too, by the way. Washington, having played on Thursday night and gotten embarrassed. Um... But I talk about betting on good coaching staffs after embarrassments. Well, we've talked about it on this pod a couple of times. Ron Rivera, you know, seems to have just lost it. Like, he was a guy that was a coach of the year candidate several times. I can't remember if he won the award or not with Carolina. But obviously got to a Super Bowl with them. And he just feels like another guy when it comes to coaches now. So, I think this commander team, this is a very blah game. And... The Commanders are in that underdog role they've been a little bit better in. Last night, last week wasn't convincing enough from Atlanta, even though it won. It needed a walk-off field goal to do so. Not convincing enough for me to lay two and a half with Atlanta and feel good about it against a team that they're probably about. I mean, not that the Falcons have much of a home field. So this line's about right, I think. You give Atlanta a point, point and a half for home field. Maybe you figure Atlanta's about a point better than Washington. Half a point better. This line's about right. I'm not touching this game. Next game in the rotation is the Chicago Bears hosting the Minnesota Vikings. Chicago, rotation number 256, is a three-point dog at home, a total of 44. And this is a play that I'm going to be on. Give me the home underdog, the Chicago Bears. We just talked about the uh, Washington Commanders coming off of the mini-buy. We have the Bears in that same spot, having played Thursday night last week against Washington. And Alex and I always talk about how we love our divisional home dogs. We also have that working for us with Chicago. And I also think Chicago, hey, maybe they got, maybe they found a little something. Maybe they got a little something going. I understand that, you know, people looking at that, maybe Bears fans a lot, looking at that draft order already, seeing how high their pick is and how high Carolina's pick is, and they own both of those. But I don't think the Bears are there yet. 
Matt Eberflus in his second year. Obviously, if the Bears end up that bad, Eberflus may not even see a third year there in the Windy City. And of course, Justin Fields kind of playing to make sure Caleb Williams doesn't take his spot, right? So I I think mentally the locker room for Chicago, that was a good, uh, healthy wake-up call that they got. And I would anticipate the Bears to at least have enough fight in this game. We saw them nearly, they probably should have beat Denver the week prior to Washington. They won all the stats pretty much in that game. So the offense for Chicago the last couple weeks has started to turn a corner. And they're facing a Minnesota defense that, while we've talked about, is a little bit more run-of-the-mill bad under Brian Flores than just bad-bad. It's not exactly a defense that we would expect Chicago's offensive momentum of the last couple weeks to slow down. So those are the buy signs on Chicago. Now let's go to the fade signs on Minnesota. Justin Jefferson just went on IR this week. I just mentioned Caleb Williams. If there was ever a team that should give a hard look at going into the tank for Caleb Williams, it would be the Minnesota Vikings, right? You think about how much trouble they've had finding the heir apparent to Kirk Cousins. They missed on Kellen Mond. Kirk Cousins is in a contract year. People already, you know, the rumors have been out there. I think the fact that it hasn't happened by now maybe would indicate that it might not happen, but we still have enough time to see Cousins perhaps end up with the New York Jets. But I think Minnesota is a team that's just about to kind of crash a little bit. They got an ugly win in week four against the Carolina Panthers. That's the only thing keeping them from 0-5 right now. And, yes, they were in the game last week against Kansas City. They didn't get blown out. But right now, Chicago and Minnesota are even in the standings. Okay? So, why should Minnesota be a three-point road favorite? I don't know that Minnesota's that good. Obviously, this was a team that everybody thought was ripe for a lot of regression in 2023, winning all those one-score games. Well, let's take a look at how Minnesota's done so far in one-score games this year. Lose by seven to Kansas City last week. Win by eight against Carolina. Lose by four against Los Angeles, the Chargers. Lose by three against the Bucks, lose by six against the Eagles. So every one of their games has been decided by one score, and they've only won one of them. And we're getting a three-point head start with the Bears. So, given that Minnesota plays a lot of close games, I'll certainly like to have the field goal in my back pocket with the Bears. And I just wonder motivationally, emotionally, the next few weeks for Minnesota, especially as the trade deadline approaches, how they're going to play. And if it's all going to get to them a little bit. So I think anytime you're betting teams with bad records, you have to really look inside the locker room and try and get a feel for what the vibes might be like. Is it a bad team that still has reason to compete or is it a bad team that might tap out? And even though the Bears... With the draft picks, like you could say, oh, well, they could have two top five picks. They still might anyway. I, I don't think they're thinking that in their locker room. In Minnesota, this was a team that was just in the, you think about their locker room, they were just in the playoffs last year. They won 13 games. And now they're one in four? Probably a lot of soul searching going on in that Vikings locker room. I like the Bears plus three. That's my second play of the week. On we roll from the NFC North. To the AFC North, where the Cincinnati Bengals, rotation number 258, host the Seattle Seahawks. It looks like Cincinnati is a two and a half, three point favorite, depending on where you shop. Obviously, that's a key number, so do your best if you have multiple outs to find the best of said number. As it looks like right now, as I said, numbers ballooning around a bit. DraftKings is hanging a three with the Bengals. So if you like Cincinnati, if you, excuse me, if you like Seattle, might want to get to DraftKings, but this is a back-and-forth one for me. 
Ultimately, I'm going to pass this game. I do think Seattle's in a nice spot here. And I say that, this, well, despite the fact that it is lengthy travel for Seattle, if there was ever a time where you would want to go to the Eastern time zone as a West Coast team, wouldn't, wouldn't you want it to be off a bye? And speaking of going to the Eastern time zone, that's just where Seattle was the last time we saw the Seahawks play a Monday, Monday night football throttling of the New York Giants, which also adds to the bye sign on Seattle. I'm not on Seattle here. Because this is a game that I think is actually a good game to watch. Because even if you don't have a penny on it, I mean, it should be a good football game. These two teams were uh, playoff teams from a year ago. Seattle been more impressive in the first five weeks than Cincinnati has. And so you look at Cincinnati and ask yourself, was that a wake-up call? Did they finally get right last week against Arizona? Well, I'm not ready to go there yet. But I'm also not ready to say that they didn't get right. Like, it's kind of one of those. That's why I'm not on Seattle. Maybe the Bengals did wake up last week. I think this will be a telltale sign of that with the competition stiffening uh, with Seattle coming in off a bye. Now, I mentioned how I kind of like the spot for Seattle despite going in the Eastern time zone. Pete Carroll, 16-4 and straight up in his last 20 games in the Eastern time zone. So, I think there's something to the veteran coaches. McVay who won in, uh, the Rams had a win in Indianapolis earlier this year in the Eastern time zone. Uh, Shanahan, throttling the Steelers earlier in the year in the Eastern time zone. And we'll get to the Niners in a little bit. They're in that spot again. Shanahan and McVay and Carroll all have been good in the Eastern time zone. So I think they have this travel figured out, and you give them extra time to prepare. I'd lean to Seattle, but I definitely think that the Bengals... That was the team, when you see them put up 34 last week, where we say, oh, okay, that's the offense we're used to seeing from the team in Southwest Ohio. So, obviously, there's still maybe desperation is not the right term, but let's call it urgency for the Bengals because they're still below 500, lose this game, and they fall to 2-4. and four. But all things considered, and by the way, I said 34 points, it was 27 as there was a pick six for uh, Cincinnati in that game last week. Still, a game in which Joe Burrow threw for over 300 yards and Jamar Chase had nearly 200 yards receiving. So I passed the game, but I think it's definitely an interesting one just to watch if you're a football fan between Seattle and Cincinnati. Okay, another NFC West-AFC North matchup has the San Francisco 49ers laying 10 in Lake Erie, well, not in Lake Erie, on Lake Erie, I should say, against the Cleveland Browns. Total of just 36, as something's going on here with Deshaun Watson, because he was a surprise inactive, well, I guess a late scratch, whatever you want to call it, the last time we saw the Browns, when they were playing the Ravens before their bye week, and... Kevin Stefanski said he was medically cleared. Yet, he hasn't played since then. Which was why it was a surprise he didn't play against Baltimore. And now, obviously, this number indicating it looks like it's going to be P.J. Walker starting this week for Cleveland. Now, I'm a Temple guy, so I always love to see P.J. Walker have success. But, gosh... When you look at, and we talk often about how it's hard to win in the NFL when you're laying double digits. And we've seen San Francisco kind of limp its way to a cover as a hefty favorite earlier this year against Arizona. A late rushing touchdown from Brock Purdy turned a 12-point lead into a 19-point lead for the 49ers. But You look at how San Francisco has just eaten the souls of some of its opponents. Not just with that cover as two touchdown chalk against Arizona, but going into Pittsburgh and winning 30 to 7. Slaughtering the Giants 30 to 12. Double digit favorite in that game. And then their biggest blowout to date in 2023 was last week 42 to 10 against the Dallas Cowboys. So. 
We've talked about how the Bills sometimes are an offense that just Allen's got the big arm and, and they can score in a hurry and then all of a sudden the number doesn't get as scary. Well, not that San Francisco necessarily, I mean, I'm not saying Brock Purdy's Josh Allen, but it certainly seems like in these spots, more often than not, the 49ers just go in there and do what they're supposed to do. At least that's what this season's been like. So I couldn't play Cleveland. Ultimately, though, you think about this kind of spot for San Francisco motivationally. This is kind of the these non-conference games are the least important games, right? When you're thinking about tiebreakers, if they're in a tiebreaking situation against the Eagles, you know, or perhaps even in their division against Seattle, whatever it ends up being, like the non-conference games are the ones for tiebreaking purposes that don't mean as much. So maybe there's a foot off the gas element here for the 49ers. I lean with the 49ers. I just, again, even some of these games, Arizona and the Giants that they covered in, uh, were hovering around the number, and I, I don't want the sweat. I don't want fourth quarter, 14 to 17 point San Fran lead, Niners running the clock out, and yet I'm sweating it. Like, I'll just pass on that. So I could certainly see another Niner blowout, but I'm not going to get there with the Niner gang this week. Uh, okay, let's go to Houston, where we have a couple of uh, former 49ers assistants that Kyle Shanahan tree continues to grow some more branches. D'Amico Ryans and company, the Houston Texans, are a short one-and-a-half-point underdog against the New Orleans Saints, a total of 42-and-a-half. And I got to say, I think I'll pat myself on the back here. I feel like I've had a good hand and feel on the Texans games recently. Alex and I had the excuse me had the Texans as a steep dog against the Jags in Week Three. Didn't get there with the Texans in Week Four, but against the Pittsburgh Steelers, that was certainly a sleepy spot for Pittsburgh going to Houston on JJ Watt Ring of Honor Day, and we saw Houston win convincingly there. And then last week. We kind of thought, all right, maybe there's a bit of a sell high on Houston getting Atlanta inside a field goal and um, cashing. I had Atlanta minus one and a half. That number was ballooning around. But if you got Texans plus two and a half, it seems like everybody won on that game. Unless you laid the worst of the number with Atlanta. But the number got bet down. If you had Houston at the open, you would have cashed with it landing Atlanta winning by two. If you got Atlanta at close, you would have cashed. So, anyway, this is a Houston team, though. I think defensively, the Houstons are starting to find it. Or, excuse me, the Texans are starting to find it. Houstons. <laughs> and we saw them shut down the, the Steelers. And last week against Atlanta, while Atlanta's yardage was a lot, and they had the ball for 35 minutes to 24. Texans did a good job of, obviously, holding Atlanta at bay enough, forcing some field goal opportunities in the red zone where they were right in the game. Now, again, some of the stats aren't pretty for Houston from last week. Atlanta went 7 for 14 on third down, 447 total yards. But I just think D'Amico's defense, especially when you see what they did to Jacksonville and to Pittsburgh the last two weeks, and I think there's a little bit of value in still finding a way to keep the Atlanta score low enough to give it a chance, even though the stats look good for Atlanta last week. I certainly think week two against Indianapolis, Houston's defense didn't look good at all. And they've made a lot of progress since then on that side of the ball. And the reason why I think that's relevant here is I have said this multiple times on this podcast. New Orleans, I understand what happened last week. Uh, you know, it looks like, and we'll get to New England a little bit later. It looks like New England's just a dead team. Uh, and certainly New Orleans defensively is good. But with hobble Derek Carr, and, you know, that's why also looking at this total, 42 and a half, I don't like it. I mean, if I did, I would go, I'd play it under. Like, it, it feels like it might be a little too high. 
Because with hobbled Derek Carr, I just don't think New Orleans can win enough with him at less than 100%. We saw the Bucks go into New Orleans and win by 17. We saw the defense blow a 17-0 lead against Green Bay. They hung on against the Panthers for crying out loud. I don't think this team's very good. And you look at what happened last week. New Orleans scored on defense. Honey Badger had a pick six. They got a pair of 50-plus yard field goals from their kicker in that game as well. They won 34 nothing, and Derek Carr only had 183 passing yards. So, in a lot of ways, what's the difference between New Orleans offensively and Pittsburgh? Okay? Neither offense is all that explosive. Pittsburgh gets a lot of shit every week, it feels like. But they're just counting on quarterbacks who might not be very good, whether it's for health reasons or for skill reasons with Carr and Pickett, to do enough to where their defense then allows them to win 20-14. to And now instead of Mac Jones, it's going to be C.J. Stroud, who New Orleans is facing. And C.J. Stroud looks like I mean, maybe it'll be Puka Nakua. I mean, CJ, those two are the front runners for Offensive Rookie of the Year at the quarter turn of the season. So, I think Houston moves the ball more than, certainly more than New England. I mean, New England was just, we'll get to them later, as I said. But, I think this game could be similar to the New Orleans-Pittsburgh game in that I think Houston's defense will feast on Derek Carr and... C.J. Stroud and company will do enough. Tank Dell might not play. He's been in the concussion protocol, and Houston has a bye next week. So Stroud might be down a receiver, but that hasn't seemed to matter for him, right? Like, these guys that he's throwing to aren't household names, and he's been putting up numbers. So I'm back on the Texans this week. I like them plus one and a half. Doesn't this line also seem a little odd, right? Like, you look at it and say, oh, wait a second. New Orleans just won 34 to nothing against New England? And now here they are, only laying one and a half against Houston. When it feels too good to be true, it usually is. And I think there could be some public betters that feel that way. So give me the Texans, plus one and the hook at home. Okay, let's move on to the next game in the rotation. And that is the Indianapolis Colts, also in the AFC South, traveling to Duval to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is an interesting one. I'm going to pass it. Spot-wise, everything screams Indianapolis, right? Because you have the Jags coming off of back-to-back London games and then having a road Thursday game in Week 7 against the Saints. So you mush this one right in the middle and it certainly makes you wonder just body clock-wise, you know, emotional investment for Jacksonville in this game. I know it's a division game, but Jacksonville had a bit of a phony cover in week one against the Colts. I know Alex was on that game. So, again, the back-to-back London games, the Thursday road game, and we love a good revenge game, a Gardner Minshew revenge game. Wink, wink, as uh, the stash is going to get the start for Indianapolis. So, spot-wise, I, I think things are checking out for Indy here. Here's the problem. And I don't know why this happens. But every year, the Colts go to Duval and lay eggs. Year after year. It doesn't matter who the coach is, who the quarterback is. It's a house of horrors for them. And we never talk about Jacksonville as a great home field. It doesn't make sense. Indianapolis lost outright as a double-digit favorite the Carson Wentz year in Week 18 when they just had to win to make the playoffs. So, I don't understand why they can't win there. Jacksonville has won every game 
at home against Indy since 2014. But I'm going to lay off this also because I think Jacksonville may have uh, really started to find some mojo the last couple weeks in London. They're home away from home, right? Throttling the Falcons. And then winning last week as nearly touchdown dogs against Buffalo. So on the field, Jacksonville looks to be improving. Good history at home against Indianapolis. Even though the spot is good for Indy, I'm going to pass this game. But read into that as you may. Actionable nuggets on both sides between Jacksonville and Indianapolis. Okay, let's move forward and go to South Beach. Dolphins laying 13 in the hook as we stay in the state of Florida against the Carolina Panthers. Total of 47. I think this line's about right. You look at where Carolina went wrong last week with the turnovers in the first half. Yes, I am still a little bit bitter about that as somebody that had the Panthers last week. But the Panthers played the Lions even in the second half and ended up losing 42-24 to as 10-point dogs. Now, we drift out to minus 13.5 for Miami here. And if you expect a similar kind of high-scoring affair as we seem to always expect in Dolphins games... Well, then, you ask yourself, can Carolina keep it competitive enough if it can just protect the ball? And I think the answer there is yes. But I'm not as giddy about Carolina this week as I was last week. Obviously, because it's a Dolphins offense that, again maybe you worry a little bit less about laying big numbers with. They just covered as double-digit chalk against the Giants last week. And that game landed uh, uh, 15 as uh, Miami won 31-16. Like, I kind of feel a similar kind of game coming here, right? Where you look up at the scoreboard, oh, Miami up 10, oh, Miami up 13, oh, Miami up 17 or whatever. It's going to hang right on the number. Uh, And I don't really like either side here. I do think the over could be live, though, if you're looking for action in this game. At 47, you know, again, Carolina still got 24 last week against Detroit. So Carolina can get us into the 20s by itself. Then we're certainly liking over 47 if you needed to play on this game. All right. uh, Detroit... And Tampa Bay. I actually like this play a lot. This is the next one in the rotation. Detroit laying three at Tampa. Total of 42 and a half. And I am all over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I may have just missed the boat on Tampa. Yeah, they had a few phony wins early in the year. Minnesota turned the ball over a lot against them. Um, And then you had uh, Chicago, you know, lay maybe its biggest egg so far of the year against Tampa in week two. But I think, first off, still something to be said for their start, regardless of who it was against, right? Because the Bucks were, I think, a team that we all thought would go away this year, post-Tom Brady. And I guess I should stand corrected. I knew there was one other really bad loss for the Bears. That 41-10 drubbing they took against the Chiefs was pretty bad. But to lose by double digits in Tampa was certainly not great. And anyway, I think we all kind of looked at the Bucks going into the year as a team that was, you know, closer to the Bears than the Lions, let's say, if we're just making NFC North comparisons. And so the fact that the Bucks have won these two games against the other two NFC North teams that have played so far and then you look at how the Bucks bounce back. This is really the buy sign for me on Tampa. Week four, they go into New Orleans and win 26-9. to And that's off of a week three drubbing where the Eagles were just way better than them on a Monday night game. Short week, on the road, in the division, 
you win by three scores against a Saints team that some, not me, think is going to win that division. So that was a good sign. Then you go to the bye, and here you are at 3-1, and one, and you're getting healthier. The only DNP for Tampa on the Thursday injury report was Shaq Barrett. And it was an illness. So, you know, maybe he's feeling better today or tomorrow and, and could still go. Now you look at the Lions injury report. Brian Branch did not practice Thursday. Safety. Running back, Kamir Gibbs, did not practice Thursday. Guard, Jonah Jackson, did not practice Thursday. Corner, Emmanuel Mosley, did not practice Thursday. Center, Frank Ragnow, did not practice Thursday. So you're down a couple of offensive linemen, perhaps. A running back, perhaps. Against a good defense, by the way. In Tampa. Which is really how the Bucks are going to have to butter their bread if they're going to make the playoffs this year. And... I've been fading the Lions the last couple weeks. And you look at some of the games they've played. Green Bay, early turnover, got behind, was playing catch-up. Early turnovers for Carolina, got behind last week, playing catch-up. Now, I understand Baker Mayfield, throughout his career, can be a bit turnover-prone. But so far this year, it's been Tampa... It's how they beat Minnesota that has been better at protecting the football. So, Baker's only thrown two picks so far in four games. And that's where I look at some of the turnover luck. The Lions won the turnover battle against Green Bay, won the turnover battle against Carolina. The last two weeks, it's a combined 5-1 in terms of the opponent turnovers to the Lions turnovers. So they're plus four in that. Again, you expect some regression there. Injury report favoring the Bucks. Bye week. I mean, if there was ever a chance, right? If you're the Bucks, what better way to send a message, not just to the NFC South, but to the whole NFC, off a bye at home against a Lions team that everybody loves? I love this. The Eagles were the only bad game for the Bucs. Now, if you think the Lions are just as good as the Eagles, and some some might, okay, fine. Then you're getting the Lions cheap here, right? Because the Eagles were minus five against the Bucs. But I'm not ready to put Detroit in the San Fran Philly tier in the NFC. I think Detroit is more in the Dallas tier. Which means, if you're in the Dallas tier, you have a game where you just don't have it. Dallas has had two of those now against Arizona and against San Francisco. Point being, this could be one of those games for the Lions. Bucks plus three. It's a max play for me in NFL Week 6. Let's move forward and go to Sin City. Rotation number 269, New England Patriots, catching a field goal against the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, it's been a while since we've said corner TV at the bar involving the New England Patriots, but this has that feel. I mean, I don't want anything to do with this game. I say this to someone that lost on New England last week. I was just betting the Belichick off a loss, having gotten embarrassed uh, in week four. I can't even remember who they played now. I thought they were going to bounce back and win a game at home where, you know, the line was pick. And I was... So perturbed. Oh, yeah, that's right. Dallas in week four. That largest margin of defeat in Bill Belichick's coaching career. Loses by 35. Then he loses by 34 to New Orleans. And so when I saw that score, and this is, again, also why I'm on the Texans. I mentioned it earlier against New Orleans. I think that's a New England. That's bad New England. I don't think that's good New Orleans. I mean, the Pats... What is going on? Is Belichick just... If Belichick retired... The minute I finished recording this podcast... And I had to come back and edit this... I wouldn't be that surprised. Now I think... Part of him might want to... Stick around to surpass Don Shula on the all-time wins list. Now... 
You could argue he might even leave New England and go somewhere else to do that. It just feels like the end here for him. Guy is getting his ass kicked every week. And yeah, okay. Dallas maybe is a playoff team. But New Orleans at home? Well, what the hell was it? That's why, again, that's why I liked it last week. I thought... They can't possibly be that bad two weeks in a row, right? And all I need them to do is win a game at home against a New Orleans team that can't score. Kind of mirrors the Pats in some ways. Like, it it got bad read by me, obviously. But you cannot, like, I can't put a dime on New England right now. And then there's the Raiders, who are able to get a win against the Packers on Monday Night Football, but now you look at the spot here for the Raiders, albeit no travel as they're home here, but short week, and now they are, you know, you have the age-old trend, which, again, we can't really necessarily look at trends right now with the Pats, but the Belichick coaching disciples against Belichick always seem to get their ass kicked. Now, of course, McDaniels and the Raiders were able to get a win last last year against the Pats only because um, Jacoby Myers threw the ball right to Chandler Jones in that game. But, you know, you, you, you I, I, part of me still looks at Belichick getting three against his, one of his, you know, understudies and thinks, like, I can't possibly bet the Raiders, right? So I don't want anything to do with this game. So I'm going to move on. Arizona, L.A., the Rams, that is. I lean with the Rams, land seven, total of 48.5. I think last week may have been the beginning of Arizona starting to kind of be the Arizona that we all thought they were. Now, having said that, I also thought that the Rams' offense was stuck in the mud in the second half. We talked a little bit about that, Alex and I, about how you know, we felt like we had a good side there with the Rams, uh, you know, catching over a field goal. I think it was a four or five point line against Philly. Uh, 17-14 lead for the Eagles at half. And then the Rams have like 50-some yards of offense in the second half. So I don't know what happened there, which is why I can't lay it with the Rams, even though I lean that way. Um, Sean McVay's also had a lot of success against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, it's a different coaching staff with Arizona now with Jonathan Gannon on the sideline. And we have seen Arizona, obviously, in these spots as big dogs, right? Because last week they were only a three-point dog. In these spots as big dogs so far, Arizona's been right there on the number. Uh, obviously, winning outright against Dallas, covering in week one against uh, the Washington Commanders, covering in week two as a shorter dog against the, uh, excuse me, against the Giants. And then in week four against uh, San Fran, Arizona very close to a cover. So they're, they're kind of hanging in these games. Again, lean with the Rams only because I do think some of the buy signs that we have on the Rams that got us there last week still exist. They played a good half. They just didn't play a good second half. And, you know, the Cooper Cup, another week healthier. He looked pretty good last week. So uh, I think the Rams are probably a good survivor contest play. Uh, given that, you know, I, while I think they might be solid-ish and maybe hang around in the wild card mix this year in the NFC, I think, you know, how many weeks are you going to look at the Rams and say, I want to use them in my survivor contest? So if you play teasers, I would also look at the Rams because I don't think they're losing this game at home. Uh, but a little hesitant to lay the seven. I don't have a whole lot else on that. Okay, let's wrap up the late window in East Rutherford. The New York Jets are a seven-point dog against Philadelphia, total of 41. And this is a bit stinky. It usually is with the Jets, but I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the Jets plus seven. Uh, Alex and I talked about how, it, and we were both kicking ourselves for not having the Jets a couple weeks ago against Kansas City. Again, it was a stinky side. You looked at Kansas City and thought, how the hell are the Jets against, a, by the way, a Kansas City defense that has actually been pretty good this year. We saw that again last night against Denver. And he said, how the hell are the Jets going to keep this to single digits? But sure enough, Zach Wilson, that was kind of the game where he started to show you something. 
even though the Jets didn't win, we talked about how, well, it was Mahomes in that heavy favorite spot. It's usually the spot he doesn't cover in. Got there by the hook last night as 10.5 point chalk. So the Jets were that stinky side that we felt if you were going to play the game, point spread-wise, you had to get there with. And we didn't have the balls to do it. I'm not letting that same thing happen again. I don't care if I lose 42-7 to here. The Jets are a stinky side. And their offense the last two weeks has been confident. Talked about the game against Kansas City. How about last week against Denver? Okay. 407 total yards to just 308 for Denver. And now a lot of that was on the ground. And we know the Eagles are a good rush defense. With that said, Jalen Carter. An injury at practice on Wednesday, didn't practice on Thursday, might not play for Philadelphia. Darius Slay. Another short-term injury situation to monitor for the Eagles. And the Eagles secondary has had some problems this year. They've had issues defending the pass ever since Avante Maddox went down, their key slot corner who's probably out for the year. They have used a lot of young corners, Josh Job, Eli Ricks, and different guys have kind of been, they had to bring in Bradley Roby for some help back there. So now you're looking at, still trying to figure out how to mix and match with your slot corner, Avante Maddox, out for the year. And Darius Slay probably out. I think the Jets could score enough here. Given that, again, the offense the last two weeks hasn't been the same, like, I don't want anything to do with the Jets offense that we're used to seeing. Okay, now let's go to the defensive side of the ball where the Jets, obviously, that's where they butter their bread. Look at what they did to Pat Mahomes in most of that game, right? Mahomes had some turnovers. The defense for the Jets has really never been questioned. Like, they have a good unit there. And obviously winning by double digits last week against the Denver Broncos. The Jets are 2-3. and And... You know, take it for what it's worth. We'll get to Buffalo in a minute. They're playing the other New York team this week. Buffalo's 3-2. and two. Like, you know, for as good as Buffalo's looked and for as bad as the Jets have looked at times, the Jets are only a game behind Buffalo in the standings. We talk about how bad teams, when you want to bet on them, if the locker room still seems to be there, right? And I think that's the case with the Jets. Robert Sala may be coaching for his job. Whether that's fair or not because he doesn't have Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Zach Wilson clearly out with something to prove. And again, the injuries for Philadelphia on defense worry me as an Eagles fan. And I also think that the look-ahead spot could be in play here for the Eagles. Their biggest game of the season to date awaits next Sunday night against Miami. They're bringing the Kelly Green uniforms back. It's going to be a, you know, the Phillies are rolling. That game's at Lincoln Financial Field in prime time, you know. And then here they are on what could be a little bit of a sleepy spot in a late afternoon window against a Jets team that's playing well. Yeah, I'm going to be on the Jets catching the touchdown. It's a little stinky, but I'm not letting another stinky Jets side give me a loss. Or, excuse me, uh, I'm not going to let a stinky Jets side win and not bet it. As I've always said, I'd rather lose than pass on something that ends up winning. You're going to lose. You're going to have bad reads. It's going to happen. But I do not want to be right about this and not have uh, some coin on the Jets, especially at a key number of seven. So I like the New York Jets plus seven for the full game. Okay, Buffalo laying 14 and a half Sunday Night Football against the New York Giants. Uh, Not much here other than I think Buffalo in the first half is a good play given that Buffalo looked to be slogging through the mud most of that game against Jacksonville. We don't love the coming back from London angle, which is the spot the Bills are in here. But I just think, speaking to how the Bills, we talked about it, the big numbers, they can score in bunches, get out early. If I'm playing big favorites, 
I'd much sooner lay lumber in the first half than I would the full game because usually they need to get out to that big lead in the full in the first half in order to have a chance to cover in the full game. And I'm not sweating things out in garbage time when the team doesn't care when they're up 14 and I'm laying 14 in a hook and we're just playing out the string. I don't want that. I do think the Bills in the first half is an interesting play. Again, coming off of that loss, coming back home, probably a little bit pissed off. Giants, obviously, kind of a dead team right now. Offensive line in complete shambles. Uh, and maybe Andrew Thomas gets back for this game. But, uh, you know, they couldn't cover as hefty underdogs on the road last week against Miami. Now they got to play another road game up in Buffalo. Danny Dimes in prime time is a disaster. There are no buy signs on the Giants. So I would, if you're looking for action, and maybe I will. This, uh, I'll admit it, I'm guilty of it the way others are. Prime time chasing. Uh, and, and, or maybe if I just need some action on Sunday night while I'm watching the ALCS game one and going back and forth with this game for as long as it's competitive, maybe I will get there with Buffalo in the first half. Last game, Monday Night Football, rotation number 277, Dallas Cowboys going to SoFi to take on the LA Chargers. Um, Cowboys laying two and a half, total of 51. I lean with the Chargers here. Can you say Kellen Moore revenge game? Maybe that's a bit of a reach, but the Chargers are coming out of a bye. They're going to get Austin Eckler back. Uh, you know, and the Chargers, at least the last couple weeks prior to their bye, you started to see a little bit of life out of them. And I think the Chargers, uh, you know, they're fun to make fun of, but they're back to 2-2 two and two after starting 0-2. And, and I actually think because you don't often want to trust Brandon Staley, um, in full game situations. I think Chargers first half is an interesting look. As I said, coming off of the bye. Also don't love the spot for Dallas. I believe they went back to Dallas. So they're in the Bay Area practicing back in Dallas. And then uh, don't quote me on that. And then going to SoFi um, this week. Don't love that. Uh, I also think Dallas, like it's a bit of a gut check for them, right? And do we expect Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy to respond well in the face of adversity with a gut check, right? Some teams, bad coaching staffs, we want to bet on those coaching staffs to bounce back. Dallas ain't one of those. So I would lean to the LA Chargers in the first half and uh, certainly on the full game as well as a short home dog. It'll probably be a home game for Dallas, though. They have training camp out in Oxnard uh, and, you know, America's team, right, in a stadium that doesn't have a lot of good home fans in L.A. Still like the Chargers in the first half uh, and would lean to them for the full game as well. That'll wrap things up for me. Flying solo here on Full Slate, a podcast by Degenerates, for Degenerates, at Undercover Greg, at G underscore Frank 6. Alex will be back next week. Follow him at Alex underscore up seven at full underscore slate underscore pod on Twitter. Everybody enjoy NFL week six. Enjoy the league championship series getting underway in the American League on Sunday night and in the National League on Monday night. And we'll be back next week to do it again for week seven. This has been Full Slate. As I said, a podcast by Degenerates for Degenerates. Thanks to all for tuning in. And of course, please play responsibly.